0: It's the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Program 465. It is April 18th, 2020. And right in front of me is the vivacious one herself, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi,
1: Carl. I'm in front of you, but I'm a little bit pulled back from you right now. We're going to continue our social distancing for a little while longer. Why don't
0: you even back up a little more? I even?
1: would if I could. Go oh, like, uh, to the next room. Go to the
0: next room. A, there's, no, there's no microphone in the okay. next room. Bye, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be here till three o'clock in the morning, five hours every single Saturday night here on The Great WGN. And in our first hour, it's our Miss Brooks. And then we'll tune into Night Beat. KC Crime Photographer, Duffy's Tavern, and Whitehall 1212. We'll also have another five-part, yours truly, Johnny Dollar adventure. It's called The Shepherd Matter. We'll play one episode each hour. So lots of classic radio coming your way, and it all starts right after these words. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hour One of the WGN Radio Theater. My co-host, Lisa Wolf, here. And I want to remind everyone about our classic radio club. Now, this is a club you can join Get digital downloads, 10 digital downloads, each and every month when you're a member of classic radio shows along with liner notes. Or you can get those same 10 shows on five CDs in a collector case with all the pictures of the stars on that collector case. It's all at ClassicRadioClub.com. Join like all hundreds of your fellow listeners. You can read some testimonials from them at the website, ClassicRadioClub.com. But join and get your classic radio show sent to you each and every month. And in fact, the first month, it's only $1 to join. Not a bad deal, Lisa. It's a deal. All right, time now for Our Miss Brooks. Did you know that originally Eve Arden was not cast as... Connie Brooks on this series. Did you know that Lisa? I did
1: know that it was Shirley Booth who ultimately went on to be Hazel. That's on right, television. Hazel
0: on television. An audition record was produced with Shirley Booth. Now, uh, in that same audition record, Mason Adams played Mr. Boynton, the school's biology teacher, and uh, I guess they cited artistic differences over the writing, and Shirley Booth left the project. CBS next considered Joan Blondell to star as Connie Brooks. That didn't work out. So then they went after Lucille Ball, she wasn't available because she was starring in My Favorite Husband. Then I think they reached out to you, but you were too young. I know. Right?
1: I couldn't do it. But yeah. you know what? You Eve little, Arden. You were only,
0: what, like 18, 19? I Back was in li- nineteen. I was a little too. I, tr-
1: I auditioned. I just didn't get the part. No. But now that we hear it with Eve Arden, it's hard yeah. to picture it any other way. That's
0: right. So then they decided, well, you know what? If Eve I can't Arden. do it, she's yeah, if Lisa second. Lisa can't do it, Eve Arden. And then it became a huge hit. It was situation comedy series, came to radio in 1948 over CBS and then uh of course Jeff Chandler was ultimately cast as Philip Boynton her sort of love interest on the program Gail Gordon was uh Osgood Conklin the principal he was like Lucille Ball's foil for yep. many, many years on TV, and Richard Crenna played Walter Denton. The scripts were by Al Lewis, and it made a transition, very successful transition, to TV in 1952. Connie Brooks, of course, was a ninth-grade English teacher at Madison High School, and it was one heck of a fun series. We have a broadcast for you now from February 20th, 1949. It's called The Frog. Here is Evard now in Our Miss Brooks palm olive soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous,
2: caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High. Well, like many other romantically inclined people, she sent the object of her affections, Madison's bashful biologist, Philip Boynton, an unsigned card for Valentine's Day. And then she sat down to wait for his reply.
3: It wasn't that his reply was long in coming. It just didn't come at all. (laughs) Knowing Mr. Boynton, I wasn't too surprised that he forgot about Valentine's Day. But I was determined to change the locale of our next date. For the past six weeks, we had spent every Friday afternoon at the zoo. Now, I am definitely not anti-animal. But I am a schoolteacher, and hence, after spending three hours in the monkey house, I just can't afford to buy taboo by the court.
4: <laughs> I was
3: brooding about it in the school cafeteria on Friday when Harriet Conklin walked over. Mind if I sit down with you, Miss Brooks? Not at all, Harriet. But don't you usually have lunch with Walter Denton? Yes, I do.
5: But he's manager of the basketball team, you know, and he's giving the boys an extra skull practice.
3: Really? Whose skull are they using today? (laughs) I
5: hope you're not expecting Mr. Boynton to have lunch with you, Miss Brooks. He told me he was eating his lunch in the laboratory because he didn't want to leave McDougal
3: alone. Oh, don't tell me that frog is sick again.
5: Not actually sick. It's just spring fever or something. It's kind of fun to have lunch without any men around anyway Don't you think so, Miss Brooks?
3: Well, yes and no What do
5: you mean, yes or no? No <laughs> We haven't had a real woman-to-woman talk in a long time You know, Walter Denton is crazier about me than ever All I have to do is whistle and he comes running Really? It's the only way to train them That's what you ought to try with Mr.
3: Boynton. I have, but every time I whistle, he opens his (laughs) lunchbox.
5: Walter just smothers me with attention. Sometimes his dog-like affection and constant worship becomes absolutely
3: cloying. Well, I wish Mr. Boynton would cloy me once in a while. (laughs) By the way, Harriet, when Walter takes you out on a date, where do you usually go? Oh, all sorts of places,
5: Miss Brooks. A drive in the country, or or a long walk in the park, or sometimes we go to a movie and hold hands. Do you ever go to the zoo? The zoo? Gosh, no. Except when Mr. Boynton takes us there for his monthly lecture. That's where I've got an edge
3: on you kids. I hear it every week.
5: (laughs) (laughs) But Mr. Boynton takes you to the movies once
3: in a while, doesn't he? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, we went last week. Was it romantic? Oh, extremely. We stood in a crowd of people behind a velvet rope for a while, and then an usher said... There's one down front. Yes? That was the last I saw of Mr. Boynton for three hours. I finally got a seat in the balcony. Golly, that's a shame, Miss Brooks.
5: You couldn't hold hands at all, could you?
3: Not even with the long gloves I was wearing.
5: (laughs) But about
3: those Fridays in the monkey house, Harriet... I'm
5: surprised at you, Miss Brooks. You don't really let Mr. Boynton take you to the monkey house every week, do you?
3: Well, I think it's the monkey house. It can't be the Taj Mahal with all those bananas.
6: Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if it isn't Madison High's Ferris,
3: may I join this charming bevy of pulchritude? Why, Walter, what a lovely speech.
5: Yes, you are a delightful child, Walter... But if you'll excuse me, Miss Brooks, I'd like to get my entree at the steam table. Oh, can I be of service, Fair Harriet? I'll gladly fetch what you want. No, thank you. But if you'll sit up nicely when I return, I'll pat you on the head. Arf, arf. <laughs> can I get
3: you anything, Miss Brooks? No, thanks, Harriet. Just bring back a roast beef bone and a can of strong heart.
4: <laughs> See you in a if you
3: Okay, Harriet. You know, I think it's wonderful the way you kids get along. You're very fond of Harriet, aren't you, Walter? Very.
6: Uh, Plus which Harriet's the principal's daughter and I'm manager of the basketball team And there are things that I can accomplish quicker if I can get to Mr. Conklin without having to go through regulation channels all the time What's good about getting to Mr. Conklin
3: so fast?
6: Well, I like getting things done fast that need getting done fast Uh, Like New Jersey's, for instance
3: Like New Jersey's what, for instance?
6: (laughs) Not New Jersey's anything New Jersey's for the basketball team Oh, we need them badly You do at that?
3: The ones the team wore in their last game looked awfully fuzzy. They didn't wear any in their last game.
7: (laughs) But
6: I'm sure the new ones will come through all right. I'm taking Harriet out on a date tonight, and I can bring it up casually when I see Mr. Conklin at his house.
3: I don't like to suggest a career for you, Walter, but I have a feeling you're going to kiss an awful lot of babies before you're much older.
6: (laughs) Oh, I could never be a politician. I'm too sincere. Oh, but why are we talking about me? You seem to have a problem of your own on your mind,
3: Miss Brooks. Is it that obvious, Walter? I have been thinking about Mr. Boynton, but only in connection with getting him out of the zoo and into my parlor. Hmm. That shouldn't be too tough.
6: What kind of a web are you spinning? Web? Look, Miss Brooks, at the risk of feeling like a traitor to a fellow male, I'll help you plot Mr. Boynton's overthrow. But frankly, I'm kind of hungry right now. Then why don't you eat, Walter, and we can finish building the bomb after lunch? Oh, say, there's Mr. LeBlanc, the new French teacher. Oh, he ought to know plenty about romance.
3: He's a real Frenchman.
6: I'll call him over Don't you dare, Walter.
3: When I'm ready to take my case to the United Nations, I'll let you know. (laughs) Besides, I've seen Mr. LeBlanc on dates with Miss Enright lately. So what?
6: Miss Enright goes on dates with anybody. Gosh, every time she sees Mr. Boynton, she makes goo-goo eyes at him. That's
3: not nice, Walter. Miss Enright's eyes are always that way. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I mean, it's unethical. Unethical is better than lonesome, Miss Brooks. Oh, Mr. LeBlanche.
3: Walter, please. You I... Call me Walter?
6: Yes. Would you be kind enough to come over here a minute? I'd like to talk to you about something very important.
8: Well, you better talk to him, Walter, because I refuse I to. I bring my coffee along and. Oh. How do you, Miss Brooks?
3: Fine. <laughs> How do you, Mr. LeBlanc? <laughs>
8: What? Uh, what did you want to talk to me about, Walter?
6: Oh, it isn't important. I'll see you later.
3: Now that's what I call a real subtle maneuver.
8: <laughs> he's a—he's a funny boy, no? No.
4: <laughs>
8: well, Now, now it's just you and I, Miss Brooks, eh?
3: I'm afraid it's just you, Mister LeBlanc. I've got to see Mister Conklin about something.
8: Mister Conklin, please, Miss Brooks. I think Mister Conklin's a fine principal. But do you have to mention him during the lunch period?
3: (laughs) You've got something there. I guess it can wait a while. It's only a question of giving him my weekly dollar.
8: You owe him a weekly dollar? For what?
3: It's a long and grim story, but I think I can boil it down to the repulsive essentials. A couple of weeks ago, I took an electric heater of his, connected it in Mr. Boynton's laboratory on an overloaded circuit, and shorted the building, started a small fire, and ruined the heater. Why you do that? I like sirens. (laughs) Oh, I didn't do it purposely, Mr. LeBlanc. It was an accident. One for which I'm paying at the rate of a dollar a week. And today's dollar day at Madison.
8: (laughs) Well, that is too bad, Miss Brooks. But it is not money that causes you to look the way you do today.
3: Is there a sign on my forehead? How do I look today?
8: Well, there are only two things that can make a woman have the look you have on your face. Uh, One is an affair of the heart. The other is the meatballs in this cafeteria.
7: <laughs> but,
8: but neither of them is incurable, eh? Huh? I'm sure.
7: You
3: haven't eaten those meatballs lately. <laughs> Look, it's nice of you to try and cheer me up, Mr. LeBlanc, Oh,
8: please, but... call me Paul. And I'm not trying to cheer you up. I'm trying to help you. First of all, tell me this. Did you receive any messages on Valentine's Day?
3: Oh, scads. I got one from Zimmerman's Bakery, one from the Finance Company, a lovely little card from Bertie's Bicycle Shop, in the shape of a pump, that one was. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yes, a dandy little poem from Sam, our neighborhood scissor sharpener. I think I remember that one. It went, uh, I've applied my grindstone to shears both old and new, but I never met a scissors one half as sharp as you. <laughs> Wasn't that a peachy sentiment for Valentine's
8: Day? Oh, quite amusing, yes. But not to you, I'm afraid. Because you're not in love with Sam the Scissor or Bertie the Bicycle.
3: No, my problem is Boynton the biology.
8: <laughs> Miss Brooks, since we have taken me into your confidence, I would like to make a suggestion. You must play... How do you say in this country? Uh, uh, you must play difficult to acquire.
3: Difficult to acquire? Ah. Oh, you mean hard to get. Mm. Uh-huh.
8: Precisely, Miss Brooks. Now, tell me. Tell me the truth. When Mr. Boynton asks you for an engagement, do you ever say no?
3: Well, no. But it isn't just because of Mr. Boynton. I'd hate to disappoint 400 monkeys. <laughs> but it, I haven't gone out with him much lately at all.
8: Because he do not ask you? Well, I like that. I am glad. Miss Brooks, there's one way to get a man interested that never fails. You must make him ouse.
4: I've tried
3: that, Mr. LeBlanc But he just, just doesn't jealous very easily
4: Ah,
8: yes, but you've tried it only once That is not enough How do the big American advertisings work? A repetition, over and over the same thing What is it you hear on the radio all the time? Smoker Benny <laughs> Again and again if you repeat this often enough, do you know what happens? Yeah,
3: Jack gets pretty burned up. <laughs> no, Mr. LeBlanc, I'm afraid Mr. Boynton is too wrapped up in a frog to pay any attention to me.
8: Oh, but of course, I forget Monsieur LeFrog. Mm. You know, in France, we have a proverb. Le chemin au cœur d'homme est par son grinelle. Translation... The way to a man's heart is to his frog. <laughs> 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 it's not, it's not very touching, but I
3: don't see what it has oh, to do... Oh, it's so with...
8: simple, really. Here you have a man with his little pet, Monsieur le Frog. And here you have a woman with her pet, Mademoiselle la Frog. Now, we convince the man that Monsieur le Frog is lonesome. And where can his poor little frog find companionship? With Mademoiselle la La Frog. And when the two little frogs are together, where are the man and the woman? Pricing junior beds for tadpoles.
4: <laughs>
8: no, no, Miss Books, no. The man and the woman are also together. Now you know, Miss Books, what you have to do to get Mr. Boynton to be a your door, no?
3: Yes, I've got to build a better frog trap. <laughs> look, Mr. LeFrog, uh, LeBlanche.
6: <laughs> this idea is Hello, a little impractical. coming, Miss Brooks. Oh, you look
3: better already. Hello, Walter. Mr. LeBlanche is quite an idea man. <laughs> we were just discussing a really fantastic scheme. Not only fantastic, but ridiculous and absurd. Walter. Yes, Miss Brooks? Run down to Peterson's pet shop and get me a female frog. <laughs> I gave Walter my last dollar to buy a female frog, and while he was out getting it, I took advantage of a free period to visit Mr. Boynton in his laboratory. Hello, Mr. Boynton.
9: Oh, hello, Miss Brooks.
3: I just dropped in to say hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello. Well, goodbye, Mr. Boynton.
9: (laughs) Oh, don't go yet. I've just been examining McDougal. You know, my frog. He's got me a little worried. He's way off his feet, and we'll look at him. (laughs) you think his eyes pop out more than usual? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Hi, Mac.
9: Mm. Mac, don't you? Uh, no, Miss.
3: It's spring, and it's just... After all, you raised him from a tadpole, and it's only natural that you should still think of him as your baby, but he's a big boy now. <laughs> this, Mr. Boynton, did it ever occur to you that Mac gets lonesome all alone in that cage?
9: Why, oh, I let him out the cage quite often. He hops all over the lab.
3: But what good is that? He hasn't got any friends here.
9: No, no, there are always a number of guinea pigs around. Of course, he doesn't pay much attention to them.
3: Well, naturally, guinea pigs make fine friends for other guinea pigs. A frog might crave a different kind of companionship.
9: Well, what about me? I'm very close to McDougal. I've been his constant companion.
3: If I were a frog, I don't think I'd consider that the ideal arrangement either. No, I think I'd want something a little more frog like. Well, just,
9: what are you getting at, with Brooks?
3: Look, did you ever sit down and tell MacDougall about the birds and bees? Well,
9: what does he want with birds and bees? He won't even make friends with guinea pigs.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, let me put it this way. Mrs. Davis, my landlady, has a cat named Minerva. Now, around this time of the year, Minerva keeps us both awake half the night with an almost incessant yowling.
9: Well, have you tried giving her a saucer of milk?
3: That's not what she's yowling about, Mr. Bond. <laughs>
9: Looks very effective with the cat,
4: usually.
3: Yes, I know. And believe me, if I thought it would quiet her down, I'd give her an autographed picture of Elsie the cow. But it won't. She's yowling because she's lonely.
9: Why, Miss Brooks, I didn't know you were so aware of these biological manifestations. Where did you learn all this?
3: My mama done told me. of things since since I've acquired my pet frog. Pet female frog, that is.
9: You have a pet frog, Miss Brooks? What's her name?
3: Her name? Uh Millie. Millie? Yes, from the from the picture The Mating of Millie. (laughs) Oh she's awfully cute too.
9: Well, you'd think Mac almost understood what you were talking about
3: Well, don't think for a minute, he doesn't What do you say, Mac? Would you like to come over and play with Millie this afternoon?
9: <laughs>
4: Hooray!
3: Today you are a man, Frog
9: well, this is amazing, Miss Brooks <laughs> if, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you if... Uh, uh
3: shine if... up your hope, Jess, Millie. here it comes
9: uh, I'd like to ask you, Miss Brooks How about a, a double date? That is, if you... if it isn't too much trouble
3: Shall we say my place for tea? Splendid Just bring a pogo stick and a deck of cards, Mr. Boynton. A
9: pogo stick and cards?
3: Yes, while Mac and Millie play gin, you and I can have a hopping contest. (laughs) Ah, l'amour, l'amour.
6: Excuse me, uh, could you come over here to the door a minute, Miss Brooks? I've got to get to my next class.
3: Oh, certainly, Walter. I'll just be a minute, Mr. Boynton. Did you get it, Walter? Yes, it's in this paper bag, Miss Brooks.
6: Here, thanks. That's okay. I hope it works, Miss Brooks. Well, I'll see you in English.
9: What's in the bag, Miss Brooks?
3: This bag? Oh, just a roast beef sandwich Walter brought me.
9: Well, it's a pretty active one. Hey, look out, it's falling out of the bag. Uh, here, here, let me see that. But now I've got him. Oh, Miss Brooks, do you realize what you've got here? Sure, an F-R-O-G. <laughs>
3: I didn't want to mention it in front of Mac until we got home. Oh, but this
9: I... is a male frog. You, You can always tell. Because in the species Dymorphognathus from West Africa, there's a very apparent dimorphism in the dentition. The male's being provided with a series of large serrated teeth in the lower jaw, which in the female is edentulous.
3: Well, slap me with a wet lily pad. (laughs) Excuse me, Mr. Boynton, I've got to be running along now.
9: Why, Miss Brooks?
3: I've got to see a boy about a frog.
9: (laughs) Here, here, I'll put it back in the bag for you. Now, just hold the top tighter and he won't get away again. I still don't comprehend why you got this male frog.
3: Well, I didn't know how you and MacDougall would react to the idea of keeping Millie company, so I thought I'd play safe and get this one, too. Ooh,
9: ooh. Oh, I don't think Mac likes the idea very much. Uh, don't be jealous, Mac.
3: Let him live his own life.
9: <laughs> We'd better not come over this afternoon, Miss Brooks. I'm afraid it'd only confuse Mac.
3: Look, Mr. Boynton, I don't care if a frog wants to play hard to get but there's something I'd like you to remember.
9: What's that, Miss Brooks?
3: Well, I don't want to sound too much like an English teacher, but when one plays hard to get too often, one sometimes don't get got. I'll just take this frog into my room and see how Walter happened to make such an awful... Well, there you are, Connie. I've
10: been looking all over for you. Mrs. Davis, what are you doing in the hallowed halls of Madison High? Well, I know how you've been waiting for a valentine card from Mr. Boynton, and I just had to tell you that all hope isn't lost. But today is Friday, Mrs. Davis. That's just it, Connie. Some mail came this morning that should have been delivered Monday. A valentine? No, a bill from the gas company. <laughs> now, that's the nicest bit of sentiment since Sam's scissors. <laughs> they say that if we don't pay it immediately, they'll shut off the gas. Just
3: my luck with Mr. Boynton coming over for tea. It couldn't be the electric company promising to shut off all
10: the lights. No, son. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm short some money or I wouldn't bother you in school like this. You know, Minerva costs me a lot lately with her special diet. No. Just how much do you need, Mrs. Davis? Well, if you'll forgive a slang expression, one greenback will do it. I just happen to have one on me.
3: He's in this bag here. (laughs) Now, don't look so alarmed, Mrs. Davis. I'm not cracking up completely. Look, just take this frog back to Peterson's Pet Shop, and they'll refund my dollar. I'll explain why I bought the frog later.
10: You don't have to explain anything to me, Connie. If you want a frog for a pet, it's perfectly all right. But why are you giving it back? To keep the gas on, for
3: one thing. (laughs) Besides, it's a male frog, and I've got to have a female. Well, you don't have to spend any money for that. I'll get you a female frog in the park. I never thought of that.
10: I'd certainly appreciate it, Mrs. Davis. Will you bring it back with you after you've paid the gas bill? Certainly, Connie. And I just know that you'll be very happy together. (laughs)
3: And so, class, you were to have these compositions ready by next Tuesday. That's the end of the period. Class dismissed. Except Walter Denton. Come up to my desk, Walter. Oh, I'm glad you asked me, Miss Brooks. I wanted
6: to explain about that frog. You see, Mr. Peterson was out to lunch when I got to the pet shop, so I got you one
3: out of the park pond. But Was it all right? I mean, was she a girl? No, Walter. She was a boy with big serrated teeth in her lower jaw. And what about the dollar I gave you? Oh, here it is, Miss Brooks. (laughs) I didn't have time to give it to you before. Thanks, Walter. That'll be all for now, then. I'd better get over to Mr. Conklin's office and make my payment on that heater. Well, here I am,
10: Connie. Hello, Walter. Hello,
6: Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis.
10: Well, what do you think, Connie? Mr. Peterson didn't sell Walter that frog at all. I know, Mrs. Davis. But he said it was a very good specimen and traded me a lovely female for him. And instead of giving us any money, he promised that when our frog becomes a husband, we'll get the pick of the litter. I can hardly wait. But where's the female frog? Oh, I had that in a paper bag, and it seemed very insecure. So I put the frog in a desk across the hall. Nobody saw me. Across the hall? But that's Mr. Conklin's office.
3: Mrs. Davis, you wait right here. And if I'm not back in five minutes, call the coroner.
8: Now, what is it? Come in. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Please transact whatever business you have in this office in a hurry. I've got an appointment with the doctor.
3: The doctor? What's the matter, Mr. Conklin?
8: Oh, just a checkup. A lot of nonsense, if you ask me. My wife's been telling him all sorts of foolishness about the state of my nerves. To hear her tell it, I've not only got the world's highest blood pressure, but I'm jumpy, anxious, overwrought. But Mr.
4: Conklin. Don't interrupt! (laughs)
8: And I'm ill-tempered.
4: <laughs>
3: now, what is it you want? I just want to give you a dollar towards the heater I accidentally injured here.
8: Oh, thanks. Well, sit down for a minute, and I'll give you a receipt. I've got a regular Board of Education receipt book around here somewhere.
3: But, Mr. Conklin, your desk drawer... Please,
8: Miss Brooks. <laughs> Don't tell me where I keep my things. Of course, it's in the desk drawer. It's us see now. book should be right over here next to this blotter. Oh, that's funny. Oh, here it is over by this frog. (laughs) Hello, little frog. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks, it won't take a
9: moment to get the receipt. Hello, little frog!
11: (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks, where did this monstrous... Do you know anything about this horrible creep? How did this get in? Please, Mr. Conklin,
3: remember the world's highest blood pressure. Never
11: mind that. What is this frog doing in my
8: desk?
3: Calm down, Mr. Conklin. Ours isn't the only school that's overcrowded. (laughs) (laughs)
10: You'd never get home from school, Connie. How long did Mr. Conklin spend bowling you out? Oh, it seemed like hours, but actually it was
3: only a few minutes. You should have been there when Mr. Conklin and Millie here faced each other across
10: his desk drawer. Poor thing, her heart hasn't stopped beating yet. Neither is yours, Connie. You're as jumpy as Minerva. Are you sure Mr. Boynton said he'd be over for tea?
3: Oh, definitely, Mrs. Davis. I told him all about how lonely Minerva was and compared her to MacDougall. So he's bringing Mac over to meet Millie. It's the first time in weeks we've had a date away from
10: the zoo. Uh, Oh, that's Mr. Boynton now. I'll go make the tea, Connie, and you receive him alone. All right, Mrs. Davis,
3: coming. Well, it's nice to see you boys. Come in. Let's go into the living room.
9: Uh, Thank you, Miss Brooks. Uh, Here's something for Millie. It's from McDougal.
3: Oh, I'll open it for her. Well, wasn't that thoughtful of Mac, Millie? Just what you needed. A clump of wilted lettuce. Here, I'll put it in this little box I keep her in.
9: Uh. Oh, I guess Mac wants to see what Millie looks like.
3: Oh, of course. Here, just hold him up. There we are. Uh, uh. This is Mac,
9: Millie. (laughs) (laughs) I think she likes him. But Miss Brooks, didn't you say you had a cat on the premises? That's right, Minerva.
3: She usually sleeps in the piano during the day. Here Minerva come out of the piano. Oh well, she'll probably wake up in a little while. Sit down, Mr. Boynton. Oh,
9: before I do, don't you want to open this big box?
3: For me? Well, what in the world can this be?
9: It's a cat, Miss Brooks. I brought him over to keep Minerva company.
1: Oh,
3: well, here comes Minerva now. <laughs>
9: Other too.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Miss Brooks,
9: Miss Brooks, where are you going?
3: You know where I'm going. I'll meet you by the third monkey from the left.
2: And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well,
3: Mr. Boynton finally took McDougal and his cat and left. Mrs. Davis and I had dinner, and then we sat down in the living room to spend a quiet evening. Minerva went back to sleep, and everything was nice and peaceful when the phone rang. (laughs) Lie down, Minerva. It's not for you. (laughs) Hello? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry, Minerva. It is for you. (laughs)
2: Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Parmolly Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these stations, and be with us again next week at this time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking, this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: And that's Our Miss Brooks from February 20th, 1949, with The Frog, starring Eve Arden. Also in that cast, Richard Crenna, Gloria McMillan. You heard uh, Jane Morgan, Jeff Chandler and Gerald Moore, along with Gail Gordon. That was uh, sponsored by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo, as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoy that. All right, for the last few weeks, we have been playing these five-part Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar Adventures. They've been a big hit. We've gotten a lot of feedback from our listeners about it. They love hearing these five-part stories. You know, it was very popular on radio, too, back in the 1950s, when they switched this series from a weekly 30-minute program to a Monday through Friday 15-minute-per-day series starring Bob Bailey. They extended the stories to 75 minutes, and we have a bunch of them, and I thought we'd play another one uh, tonight on WGN. Now, this is called The Shepherd Matter. It's from April 16, 1956. This is part one of a five-part adventure on yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
12: From Hollywood, it's time now for...
13: Johnny Dollar.
14: Providence, Rhode Island, calling. Mr. Dollar? Yes. One moment, please. Go ahead. Hello?
7: Hello, Mr. Dollar? Yes? This is Dick Porter. I'd like to hire you. Porter? Uh, Dick Porter, I'm an insurance
4: broker here. Bert Masterson at United Adjustment Bureau suggested I contact
13: you. Oh, what's the trouble, Mr. Porter? (laughs) Uh, Darned if I know exactly... I just have a client who's taking out all the insurance he can get. I may be wrong, but it looks to me like he's getting ready to die. Oh. Can you help me out? I can try, Mr. Porter.
12: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance
13: investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. Expense account item one, $15. Airfare and incidentals, Hartford to Providence. I arrived at 2.30 in the afternoon and was in my hotel room by 3.15. At 5 o'clock, I was having a quiet drink with Porter who turned out to be a 24-year
7: man in the insurance brokerage business and seemed to know what he was about. I've never had anything like this happen to me, and I didn't quite know what to do about it. I'm glad I can get some expert advice from you. Well, I don't know how expert the advice will be, but I'll do what I can for you, Mr. Porter. Um, Want another one of these? No, I'm fine for now, thank you. I'll try to explain this matter as far as I know. Two days ago, Dr. Shepard called me up and inquired about rates on straight life insurance. Mm-hmm. He's carried about $20,000 worth of policies, so 10 years or better. Um, I have the figures in my office. Mm-hmm. I gave him the prices for coverage, and he said he'd take $80,000, which would bring him up to an even 100000 Now, Shepard's a single man. The beneficiary on his other policies is his mother, Claire Shepard. She lives over in Pawtucket. He's only dependent. He wants to name her beneficiary again. I see. Now, where do matters stand with Dr. Shepard right now? I told him it'd take a few days to draw the policies up. He sent me a check for the first payment and told me to do what had to be done. I don't want to act on his application until I know it's okay. Sure. Well, uh, what can you tell me about Dr. Shepard? Very little. He seems to have a good practice here in town and does his share of charity work and so on. As far as I know, he's above question. Would have to be, of course, to practice medicine here. He has an apartment above his offices, owns the building, all of his equipment. Know anything about his friends?
13: No. Now, let me understand this about Dr. Shepard. He called you. You didn't call him.
7: He wanted to buy the insurance. Uh, You didn't try to sell it. That's about it, yes. And that's why I'm worried. Give me a hundred people and I'll show you 99 out of that hundred who will never, never call up an insurance broker and say, I want to buy some life insurance. Yeah. People have to be sold life insurance. They'll go out and shop around for fire, theft coverage, automobile insurance, health almost any kind. But straight life insurance, that has to be sold. On the other hand, suppose Shepard is that one in a hundred.
4: Yeah,
13: it it may be a perfectly legitimate situation. Yeah, Shepard may have looked into his mirror one night and said to himself, I gotta have $100,000 worth of insurance or I won't sleep a wink. Oh yeah, it could have happened that way, Mr. Porter. But uh, I have to think of those 99 people in that hundred. Sure. Sure, so do I. Well, here's to caution. Cheers. (laughs) Expense account item two, $25. Deposit on a rented car, which I used the following day, driving from place to place, collecting data on Dr. Charles Shepard, M.D. At his bank, I was able to learn that he enjoyed what might be called a lucrative practice, and that, like most people, he spent slightly more than he made. He belonged to a golf club where he was seldom seen. He belonged to a tennis club which he managed to make three or four times a week. Questioning the pharmacist who had the prescription counter a half block from Dr. Shepard's building and the manager of a cafeteria across the street from Same, I was unable to learn who Dr. Shepherd's steady companions were or gain any information that would justify his puzzling application for life insurance. Hello? Good morning. Oh,
14: good
15: morning.
13: I'd like to see Dr. Shepard, please.
14: Do you have an appointment? No, I don't. Well, may I have your name, please? Johnny Dollar. 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 Are you a regular patient of Dr. Shepard's, Mr. Dollar? No, no, I'm not. I didn't think I recalled your name. I've been with Dr. Shepard almost five years. Uh, Who recommended Dr. Shepard? No one. Uh, Well, Mr. Dollar, I'm afraid doctor's out now and won't be back until... Late this afternoon... Well, now, that's
13: funny. I was standing out in front of here three minutes ago, and I thought I saw Dr. Shepard walk in.
14: Please, Mr. Dollar, he is not in to anyone. What's your name? Why, I'm Miss Streeter. Miss Streeter. Well, yes, but I'd I... I'd like Mr. to
13: see Dr. Shepard, Miss Streeter. Here.
14: Oh. Insurance investigator?
13: Yes. Will you tell the doctor that? Please?
14: Why, yes, I... I'm sorry I had to tell your doctor was out. He asked me to say that to everyone who came in. I'm afraid the doctor's been acting strangely all day. I'm very much concerned over him. Excuse me.
13: The tall, pale, brunette girl in the crisply starched uniform was certainly concerned about something. She bit her lip, forced on a wan, unprofessional smile, and looked like she wanted to cry just before she disappeared beyond the reception room to seek out Dr. Shepard. I pretended not to notice that part. One minute passed, two minutes, three minutes. No one reappeared. So I pushed the door open and I looked down the corridor leading to the examination rooms and laboratory. I had to notice Dr. Charles Shepard standing at the end of the corridor. Most of his costume was medically correct. White coat, stethoscope in one hand. But in the other hand, he brandished a 32 automatic. And the safety was off.
16: Stay where you are, mister, and get your hands up. Do you keep your credentials in? Left inside. I'll get them. A... Insurance investigator. For whom? At the moment, for Mister Porter. Dick. Yeah. Well, here, I. I'm sorry, Mister Dollar. I. I guess I'm very nervous these days. Oh. Uh,
14: Mister Dollar, I'd like to get your address and phone number before uh, you. That's
16: all right, Karene. Uh, Don't you think this might be a good time to go out and get a bite?
14: It's a little early, Doctor. I have some lab tests. Go
16: ahead, Corinne, like a good girl, and uh, lock up, huh?
14: Yes. Goodbye, Mr. Dollar.
16: Uh, Yeah, goodbye. Very fine girl, Corinne. She's been with me... Five years, she told me. Oh. (laughs) I... Don't know how I'm going to explain meeting you in the hallway with this in my hand.
13: Uh, yes. Well, uh, before you try, suppose you snap the safety on. Oh, yes. Okay. I, I look somewhat foolish,
16: I guess. Do you want to come in my office? Sure.
13: You say, Mister Porter. Mister you... Porter told me you made an application for eighty thousand dollars worth of life insurance. We uh, we look into things like that, Doctor.
16: Investigate me because I want to buy life insurance?
13: Yeah, yeah. You're a single man with few responsibilities? Well, I don't know whether to be irritated or not. Am I I going to get my insurance? I wouldn't be irritated, doctor. Put yourself in the insurance company's position. They're just not used to this kind of application. Oh, you, you may get it, I don't know. But obviously you're in some kind of trouble, gun and all. Well, I... You know, the whole
16: thing is a ridiculous mess. Mr. Dollar, my life has been threatened by a man who has definite homicidal tendencies. I suppose I've been acting very strangely lately. I I don't know whether to leave town or give up my practice. All you have
13: to do is pick up that telephone and call the police and tell them about it. A threat in your life comes under police business, Doctor.
16: I know that, and I would go to the police, only... Well, it's a very delicate matter. I have a patient's welfare to think of. You
13: can't very well treat any patient if you're dead. I suppose you sit down and tell me all about it. All right. Several
16: months ago, I treated a woman named Forbes. A thorough examination and consultation disclosed that her poor physical condition was not based on any organic disorder, but rather upon her own emotional instability. Not an uncommon diagnosis, this hectic day and age. You've heard of things like this, Mr. Dollar?
13: Oh, I've heard of semantics and neurotics and psychotics, but I'm not a doctor. Well,
16: let me tell you the psychotherapeutic side of medicine is by far the most challenging and one in which I've had considerable experience. Consequently, I undertook to treat Mrs. Forbes, hoping to effect a cure. Are you a psychiatrist, doctor? No, I am not. Don't misunderstand me, Mr. Dollar. In the process of treating Mrs. Forbes' physical ailments, I urged her to recount a variety of experiences. talk to her from day to day, probing all the while for the source of her trouble. It has been my intention from the first to place her in the hands of a competent neurologist. I suspected her trouble early in the treatment. She's married to an erratic, ruthless, ill-tempered man, Paul Forbes. Oh. I made a grave error when Mrs. Forbes pressed me last week to... Well, I could only tell her to move out and divorce him immediately. That's
13: pretty extreme advice, Doctor.
16: I know, but I also know the advice was right. Oh, you aren't in sympathy with me, I can see, but let me tell you that any competent psychiatrist would have advised you the same. I approached her husband on the matter a few days ago. What? I explained to him that Mrs. Forbes' health, her very life, is in jeopardy, that more is involved here than just keeping intact a union which has nothing but legality as a binding force. And
13: Mr. Forbes doesn't care for semantics.
16: He doesn't care for Mrs. Forbes, Mr. Dollar. He ranted and raved and accused me of trying to break up his home, and finally he attacked me. I managed to get away.
13: Did he threaten you then?
16: Yes, he said he'd kill me.
13: Who else was there?
16: What do you mean? Who heard him say these things? Why? Mrs. Forbes was there and a servant in their home. Yes, a servant. Upton's his name, I believe.
13: You should have called the police.
16: I should have done a lot of things differently in my lifetime, but I didn't call the police. My primary concern is for Mrs. Forbes. Further shock and guilt complex could be totally disastrous to her. So are
13: you going to creep around here with a gun in your hand?
16: I don't know whether I'd even know how to use it. I... I... Now, why the application for all the insurance? Well, I I wondered if Forbes might get me. I wanted to be sure my mother was taken care of. I I don't know whether anyone's ever threatened your life, and you knew for certain he'd try to carry out the threat, but that is the position I am in.
13: Well, what are you going to do?
16: I don't know. I'll think of something. But what about my insurance? That's up to Mr. Porter. If what you say
13: is true, I wouldn't insure you. What do you mean if it's true? Of course it's true. Doctor, I don't believe it. I left him standing there in the corridor, staring after me. A lonely man. Somehow not as frightened a man as he tried to let me believe. I wondered about that. I was still wondering about it when I went to sleep that night.
12: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode
13: of this week's story. Tomorrow, the shepherd matter becomes a matter even the police can't handle. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
12: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly,
0: Johnny Dollar,
12: Roy Rowan speaking.
0: That's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar from April 16, 1956, with The Shepherd Matter, Part 1, starring Bob Bailey. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Well, Lisa, we have a new sponsor on the WGN Radio Theater. It's Burdine's Jewelry. And they're great because if you have jewelry, fine jewelry, that you really don't wear anymore, you know, I know this happened to you because you went to Matt Burdine and got rid of some jewelry. I have done this. I've sent some of my friends and family there. You can get top dollar for your fine jewelry if you don't love it anymore. Mine was sitting in a safety deposit box.
1: Well, I not only sold some of my jewelry and got cash from Matt Burdeen, but I also had some of my settings updated, just a little bit more modern, just a little bit more of my own style. Yeah,
0: Matt Burdine's at Burdine's Jewelry, he can do it all. If you have some fine jewelry, you want to turn into cash, you want to get top dollar for it, get a free appraisal by mentioning this radio offer, you can go to their website, That's B U R. D E E N S, or you can call a toll free number, 800-875- Four four one eight, and you don't have to go into their store. They can do all this on the phone or through Facetime. Um, it's it's great. Just call Matt Burdeen.
1: Yeah, he and his team are really experts, and they will give you the best possible price. And I I really think that you'll be happy if you contact him. I know I did, and I know that you have as well.
0: Why let jewelry sit in a safety deposit box or in your drawer c- uh, collecting dust? Right. Call Matt Burdeen one 4418 or go to burdeens.com, that's B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S.com. In our next hour, it's night. Beat starring Frank Lovejoy, plus part two of The Shepherd Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. We'll be back right after the news. Hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, bringing you all your favorite classic radio shows. That's right, Abbott and Costello, The Shadow, Suspense, Inner Sanctum, Lights Out, Fibber McGee and Molly, you name it, we have it here on the WGN Radio Theater. And all of our shows are direct from Master Recordings, so you're going to hear the best quality classic radio shows anywhere in the world, right here on the WGN Radio Theater. In this hour, Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, will also have part two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar with a Shepherd Matter from 1956. It's all coming your way. After these words, welcome back to hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. My co-host is Lisa Wolf, and she puts up with me. I
1: do. It's been a while now. Yeah, we've five been on here years. five years. We've been putting up with each other. Oh but more gosh. of me putting up with you for this sure. This is true.
0: We have Nightbeat <laughs> coming your way, but I do want to remind you that there are five classic radio shows waiting for you to digitally download absolutely free. It's our way of thanking you for listening to this show. Just go to 100radioshows.com. Put your email in there instantly you'll sent, uh, you'll be sent an email from us with five links to five classic radio shows. Do you remember the shows? Lisa? Of course I remember what the shows, they?
1: Carl. We've got Jack Benny, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Gunsmoke, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Wow. These shows are all in pristine quality. Quality you can find nowhere else but through, through us, basically. And um, we hope you'll give it a shot if you like those. There are some other shows that you can purchase on that website. But either way, check out the five free Radio Shows at 100radioshows.com.
0: Yep, that's right. And if you do decide to buy anything at that website, make sure that you use the promo code Radio. radio radio at checkout you'll save 70 percent on your order all right time now for night beat this was a newspaper drama that came to nbc radio in february 1950 it starred frank lovejoy as randy stone he was a reporter for the chicago star and of course there really is no chicago star it Was a fictional newspaper this series was set right here in Chicago, although it was broadcast out of Los Angeles. And he covered the night beat. He roamed the Windy City in search of human interest stories for his column. Now, Stone was a passionate, crusading reporter who tried to set things right in the murky, late-night, early-morning Chicago that was his crime beat. Now, this featured Los Angeles' best supporting players, including his wife, Frank Lovejoy's wife, Joan Banks, uh, also Parley Bear, William Conrad, Paul Fries, Peggy Weber, many others. It was last heard in 1952. Unfortunately, it didn't make a transition to television. I think it could have been great on tv i would have loved to have watched it on antenna tv
1: that could be your next project
0: yeah turn it into a tv series all right it's time for night beat from march 6 1950 this is called number 13 it stars frank lovejoy here is night beat
11: wheaties presents night (laughs) beat On stage tonight from Hollywood, Night Beat, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half hour presentations. Night Beat.
15: Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat, the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began in the darkness of the human mind and ended in raging flame.
11: Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone.
17: There's been a lot of talk about Wheaties and champions. But you know, really, anybody can eat Wheaties. Of course, a lot of champions do. But so do a lot of other people, millions of them. Tomorrow morning, they'll shake the Wheaties into the bowl, pour on the milk, put on the fruit, and enjoy themselves. These millions of happy people have made Wheaties Americans' favorite whole wheat flakes. So even though they're called Breakfast of Champions, we want you to feel perfectly free to get Wheaties at the grocery tomorrow. Two packages, if you wish. They go pretty fast. Crisp, you know. A kind of nut-like taste to them. Wheaties. Have some.
15: Ever look at people as you pass them on the street and wonder what their lives are like? Where they've been, where they're going, and what they'll do when they get there? Me, I'm a sucker for the guy who wears his heart on his sleeve with just the scars showing. Or a pair of eyes that look out of a soul eaten away by loneliness. The old lady eating her dinner alone in a booth for four. The lone drinker in a plushy bar who toasts his reflections in the mirror and wishes that he was too drunk to see it. Sometimes the busiest street in the city can be the lonesomest spot in the world. And tonight it had seemed like that as I drove through the dark city. I was well into the warehouse district when I saw a flash. It was like an explosion, only there was no noise, no sound, just this flash and then flames. It was a three-story warehouse, the old wooden type, and the flames worked fast. I started past to find a box that turned the alarm when I saw a man, and he was running into the fire. I stopped the car and took off after him. The only light in the building was from the fire, and the man was nowhere in sight. Hey, you! Here I was making like a regular stout-hearted Frank Merriwell, first one to a fire and no one to save. And then I heard... Him. Chloe! I followed the sound of his voice. He we was standing at the foot of some wooden steps, yelling his head off. Tony! Hey, Tony! Hey, you! Hey, what are you doing? Come on, Pop. Huh? Let's watch it from outside. Let
18: go of now, Come on, now, come on. Leave me alone. Let go of
15: me. Hey, come back here, you fool!
18: Go away! Leave me! Uh. Pop, are you hurt? My leg... I hit it when I fell. Well, let's see if you can walk. If I can walk if you'll help me. I'll go with you, mister. Yes, I figured you would.
15: I half carried, half dragged the old man. The smoke was so strong that my lungs ached. And I felt lightheaded. Outside, a crowd had gathered. A line of policemen were keeping them back out of the fireman's way. One cop came over to us. Hey, you guys, you work here? He came in after me. Who are you? I'm strong-heart the second, only don't let it get around. How oh, are you, Randy? How oh, are you?
18: The old man's leg hurt? is isn't broken, it's just banged up a bit. You guys stay put. I'll get the ambulance force over here. Okay, we'll be here. I, I'm not saying. I... You stay way out. I in. gotta get going. What's the rush, Bob? Any good reason why you shouldn't wait around? You mean, did I have anything to do with the fire? Well, did you? Uh, No, I I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with it.
15: Okay, okay. Nobody's accusing you. What's it all about? Why did you run in there after the fire started? That's my business. Well, you're going to have to answer questions.
18: You might as well start with me. Oh, get me out of here, mister. Get me home, and maybe I will.
15: I led him through the crowd into my car. I followed his directions through the dark streets... He seemed to be looking for something. He leaned forward, watching in the lights of the car, turned his head to peer at everyone we passed. All the time, he was silent. Finally, I broke the ice. Uh, maybe I'd better know who you are. Hmm? Hey, uh, I'm Ben Graham. Hmm. You
18: said you were going to talk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my son, Tony. Were you looking for him in the fire? Tony went there earlier when... When I saw the fire start, I thought he might still be in there. And you ran in to find him? Tony used to work there. He used to? Yeah, he was a night watchman there and several other warehouses. You see, he's not like other people. I was afraid they'd see him there. Oh, uh, like... Oh, it's not what you think. He's not crazy. He's... Well, he stays inside himself, if you know what I mean. He... He don't like people. He sleeps in the daytime. He lives at night. What happens with the jobs? Does he quit? He was fired. Every time... Fire? Why? He thinks it's because of the cane. Well, he uses a cane? Yeah, ever since he was a boy, he's touchy about it. One reason, he doesn't like people. Ben, why do you think he started the fire? Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything like that. No,
15: you didn't have to. It shows.
18: I don't know what
15: to think. There have been several warehouse fires around here recently. Five? Less than a month? Yeah, yeah. Are they the ones where Tony worked? Some of them, but... It's not only that... It... Well, what else, Ben?
18: Why are you afraid Tony started those fires? Three out of five of them all. man with a cane was seen coming out around the time of the fire, and it... i, I, I got to find him. Have you asked him about the fires? Oh, I've tried to. We don't talk much. Oh, well, it's my place. Oh. It seems like we're strangers. When, when I mention fires, he slams out of the house. Well, I'll talk to him, Ben, when we find him. I mean I talk to you, mister? He's, he's funny about that. Well, we'll see, hmm? I'll go in, with you? No, no, don't. You, you wait here. Don't come up there. I'll, I'll bring him out to you.
15: Then Graham staggered up the short walk to his little shed. What was he hiding? What was he afraid for me to see? I heard him open the door without a key. The light switched on. After a few seconds, switched off. But Graham didn't come out. I waited a few minutes and then made my way to the darkened house. There was no sound from the inside. I called as I felt for the door.
18: Ben! There
15: was no answer. I found the knob. Before I could turn it, the door was yanked open.
18: Look, you... you I told you to wait. I told you to wait in the car. Well, I saw
15: the light go out. And when you didn't come back, I thought something was wrong.
18: Come on, listen. There's nothing wrong. Get back into the car. Tony's not here. We got to find him, Ben. I know. Before the police do. But where? Oh, we'll try some of the warehouses. That's, that's where he hangs out. Which ones? Are they near here? Yeah, yeah, around.
15: Well, then why don't we leave the car here and walk?
18: Oh. Get in.
15: What are you hiding, Ben? What do you want to get me away
18: from? You wanted to find out or not? All right, all right. Where to? Block down and block over. Young and Wilson's warehouse. You seem to know a lot about these warehouses yourself. I've been working on them most of my life. That is, I, I used it. hmm. Uh-huh. This, uh,
15: Young and Wilson, is that where the next fire is supposed to take place? I hope not, mister hope not.
18: Slow down. That's it ahead. The building's dark. The watchman's inside. Over here.
15: You do know your way around.
11: Here. Yeah. What do you want? Tony here? Who wants him? Oh, you. Get away from that door. Don't come around here, Graham.
15: Have you seen Tony? No,
11: he's not here. Now get moving.
15: What is all this?
11: There's a stranger around here, you'd know.
15: I'd know what?
11: About Ben. He's a bad luck woman. Anywhere he goes, trouble starts. Somebody gets hurt or a fire breaks out. Once a watchman was killed. There's always accidents. It's him.
15: What kind of superstition is that?
11: Maybe it's superstition to you, but not to us. All the watchmen know. Ask any of them. Now move on.
18: Well, what's that all about? It's true what he says. Oh, coincidence. Well, call it any him you like, it happens. I can't help it, it just happens.
15: That's why you're not working now?
18: Well, nobody will hire me, they, they all know. Sometimes they think of excuses, but mostly they're like him. They run me off. You could get some other kind of work. Oh, I've tried, but they ask me where I worked, and when they check, they find out they don't need me. I... Listen. Stand back his cane. Tony? We'll soon see when he turns that corner. What are you doing with a gun? Keep out of the room. You're not going to... Shh, don't talk.
15: That's not a cane. That's a nightstick. Policeman.
18: Hey, you! Over there! He won't find me here. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Now, what's the matter with old Screwball?
19: With
4: who?
18: Ben Graham.
19: Well, oh, you know him? Sure. Everyone around here knows him. I'd rather have a black cat cross my path than Ben. Why? Wherever there's trouble, you'll find him. See the fire tonight? Oh, yes. Why? I'll bet he was there. Every time there's a fire, someone swears Ben was there. Hey.
15: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it the watchman had said? Somebody gets hurt or a fire breaks out. What about the fires where a man with a cane was always seen and another man who nobody wanted around? Why did Ben run when he saw the police? Why was he carrying a gun? I decided I wanted to see the Graham Shack again. What was he hiding in that house? What was it he didn't want me to see? The little building was dark when I went up the walk. If either Tony or his father was there, he didn't want anyone to know about it. I knocked once before I turned the knob. I thought I heard a movement in the corner. Ben? Tony? Anybody here? I fell along the wall for a switch. It was a sound like the cry of a cat.
4: (gasps) What do you want?
15: Please answer Oh, I'm sorry. I I frightened you. I'm looking for Mr. Graham.
20: My husband or my son?
15: Uh, Both of them. What is it? What's happened? Oh, nothing's happened. I just wanted to see them.
20: There is something. I know there is. No,
15: it's nothing, really. Now, why don't you lock the door when I leave so no more bad dreams can come in, huh?
20: I can't lock the door. I can't move out of this bed.
15: Oh, you're paralyzed. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I I wouldn't have laughed at
20: you. It's all right. I like to hear it. No one laughs here. Won't you sit down? No, I
15: I can't stay. I've got to find Ben or Tony.
20: What have they done, Miss? Oh, they haven't done anything. You're just like them. They won't tell me anything either. I lie here alone in the dark. Can't move. No one will tell me anything.
15: Well, I just wanted to give them a message.
20: No, you didn't. Don't try to fool me. Nobody wants them. Either of them.
15: I'm sorry I disturbed you, Mrs. Graham. Is there anything that I can do for you?
20: You can talk to me. Just talk to me. They don't talk, Ben and Tony. They're dark men, both of them.
15: Why do you say no one wants them? Has there been uh, trouble?
20: There's always been trouble. What are they into now?
15: I don't know. I better go find them.
20: Is it the fires?
15: You know? I guess. It is. It is the fires. don't upset yourself. Ben and Tony are all right.
20: They won't tell me. They won't talk about the fire. I ask them and they won't answer. I know.
15: I tell you, they're all right. I just talked to your husband, to Ben. I I thought he came here.
20: They don't come here. All these years I've laid here alone. They don't come here but the... Sleep and to eat.
15: Well, Ben was here a little
20: while ago. He turned off the light and waited in the dark. What did he want? What was he waiting for?
15: We uh, we were looking for Tony.
20: What has he done? I've got a right to know. I'm his mother.
15: Well, Ben thinks that Tony started the fires.
20: Tony, <laughs> Tony started the fires. <laughs> he did. He did. Tony's
11: tired of fire. General Mills is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. This is for people over 21.
17: All you kids go get ready for bed or something, will you? Ladies and gentlemen, why should the children have a corner on the Wheaties? Now, if they don't at your house, good. Because, honest now, who works any harder than you? You need whole wheat, too. Whole wheat with the sun in it, sure good. Whole wheat nourishment. And Wheaties are about the nicest, flakiest, most delectable way of getting whole wheat nourishment that you ever saw. Now, you notice I don't call Wheaties breakfast food. Just breakfast food? Oh, never. Lunch food, Sunday night supper food, snack food for the off times like just before bed. Sure, you can have Wheaties any old time and get the sunny whole wheat just the same. Sugar them, cream them, strawberry them if you want to. Eat them any way you like them. But don't feel that just because you've gotten old enough to vote, you have to give up Wheaties. They're still America's favorite whole wheat flakes. Just like they were when you were wearing pigtails and short pants. Okay, the kids can listen again now. That's um, Wheaties you're going to get tomorrow.
11: Remember? And now, back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone.
15: Yes, it was adding up, but it wasn't making sense. First, I drag a man out of a fire, a man who's carrying a gun. And now, a frightened, paralyzed woman who wanted someone to listen. I could feel that tingling on the back of my neck as Martha Graham talked. She was terrified at the mention of fire. I sat in one of the chairs beside her bed and tried to calm her fear. She wanted to talk, and I couldn't stop her.
20: Tony started the fire. It burned our house. That's how I got like this. That's why Tony uses a cane. He was a little boy then. Tony loved matches. He liked to watch them burn.
15: Don't think about it now.
20: I think about it all the time. Sometimes I dream about it. Everything burning all around me, my clothes on fire, and and Tony in, in the corner screaming. I can see it over and over. Isn't it
15: better if you don't talk about it, Mrs. Graham?
20: Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. That's all I hear. I want to talk. It's better than lying here alone, not able to move.
15: Now, don't excite yourself. Why don't you get some sleep? All
20: right. If you'll stay, I'll talk about something else.
15: You have any idea where Tony is?
20: In one of the warehouses. That's where he always is.
15: Well, I'd like to see him. Do you know which one?
20: What time is it?
15: Well, let me see. It's it's a little after two. Why?
20: Then he's at the Holland Warehouse. About three blocks from here. It's where he goes at two.
15: I don't understand. You mean he goes to different warehouses at certain times?
20: Yeah. Tony makes a few dollars. The watchmen help him out. But he never talks to me.
15: Well, it's hard for all of us to talk sometimes. You say Tony will be at the Holland Warehouse at 2?
20: Yeah. Tony tells me where he'll be. I don't worry if I know. And Ben, will he be there, too? If he's looking for Tony, he will.
15: Oh, thank you, thank you. I must be going.
20: Will you do something for me, mister, before you go?
15: Well, sure. What is it?
20: Laugh for me. I just want to hear you laugh.
11: Laugh,
15: she says. She hits me between the eyes and tells me to laugh. I stayed with Martha Graham a little longer, promised her I'd come back, and I set out to find the Holland Warehouse. It was larger than the other buildings around it and stronger. It was made of cement and steel and it towered above its wooden neighbors by several stories. I tried the front door, no luck. I rang the bell, I waited. No one came. I tried beating on the door. That didn't do any good either. I started to turn away and then...
21: What do you want? Who are you? I'm the watchman here.
15: I thought the watchman stayed inside.
21: I just stepped around the corner for two o'clock coffee.
18: Oh.
15: Uh,
21: don't worry. The place is guarded. There's a fellow inside. Oh, Tony Graham.
15: Yeah, you know him. Well, in a way. Is his father with him? If that jinx. I wouldn't let him near the place. Oh, you too. Huh. Well, let's go in. I want to talk to Tony. About
21: what? I'll tell him. Come on. Where's your light? Got a flash here. Tony! 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 Yeah, that's funny.
15: Well, it's a big building. He's probably on one of the other floors.
21: It shouldn't be. We punch a time clock here. This is the time we're supposed to check in on this floor.
15: Now, where is the clock?
21: Over by the stairs. Lights are there, too. Yeah. It's not like Tony not to be here. You mean you've left him here before? I'm sure, he. He helps a lot of the guards, kind of relieves them like. We all pay him a little. And that way he can have a job and his old man don't know it. Better with these lights.
15: Well, there's your light and there's your clock, but no Tony. Can't
21: understand it. Let's try upstairs. We'll take this freight elevator. Are you in all the aisles
15: here at least once during the night?
21: That'd uh, be pretty hard to do with all those rows of boxes and crates. Hey, uh, you, uh, you don't think uh, something's happened to him, do you? I hope not. I don't think he's up here. I don't know where he is. Listen.
18: Tony. Ben, behind those boxes, they're fire. coming... I tell you, I didn't have anything to do with these fires. Oh, you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. But I didn't. Why would I start these fires? Because you're a firebug, that's why.
2: I'm not. You've told me that all my life, but I'm not.
18: Ben. Who's that? What are you doing with that gun?
21: boy you followed me. What are you doing up here, Tony? I came up here to punch the clock. He, he followed me up. Huh? He's going to kill me. It's the only way. Uh, there's always trouble where he is. I told you. Shut up. It's
18: not my fault everything that happens. It's not my fault about my family either. Look at us. Me. Somebody give me a job and Martha. I know, Ben. I saw her. You know all about us, don't you? Oh, but Tony. There he is. A fire bug. What's that?
21: Hey, hey, fire! Hey, the building's on fire! You brought it, Ben Graham. I told you not to come here. I'm getting out. Another fire, Tony. I didn't start it. I've been up here with you.
18: I know you started it just like the others.
21: I didn't start them. Oh, listen to me, Paul. I didn't do
18: it. You have no proof he started them. How many times did I stop you when you were kids? You always like to play with the fire and watch things burn. Oh, kids do. That doesn't prove I... In started... our house, you set that on fire, too. Everything we had went up. We've never had anything since. Haven't I been punished for that fire? Look at me, haven't I? Yeah, but not for the others. You'll never do it again, never. Put that gun down, Ben. You can't do that. That's murder. He's got to be stopped it be! But not that way. What if he didn't do it? What if you're wrong? I can't be wrong. I know
15: him. You don't know him at all. You don't even know what he's been doing at night.
18: Oh, yes, I do. He goes from
15: one warehouse to another. I've been
18: following him. He's been in every one of those buildings just before they burned. Every one of them? You see, even you were beginning to believe. The fire bell has stopped. That means the watchman's turned in the alarm. It's automatic. The fire truck should be here soon. The sooner the better look at the smoke has started to seep in. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Uh, you're not getting out of here, Tony. I can't let you. Listen,
15: you can't do it, Ben. It's like a lynching. You
18: can't be the judge and executioner too can't take anymore. A monster, the way she is. And Tony like this. You know what they'll do to him. An asylum. I couldn't stand it. It's better this way. Smoke, will you? Put that gun away, Ben. Tony, I don't want to do it, but it's the only way. There's one other way. Stay away. Don't,
15: I don't want to hurt you. Stay away. I'm not much of a target with the smoke. Stay away. The gun. Give me the gun. Give it to me. Uh, uh. Grab the gun, Tony. I got it. All right, now, come on. Let it
18: in now. Come on. Let oh, it my God. I said Come on.
15: Tony, show us the way up.
18: If I can, Mr. Stone. If I can.
15: The room was full of smoke and the concrete floor was warm from the fire below. We worked our way to the elevator, but from the smoke and sparks growing up the shaft like a giant smokestack, we knew it was useless.
0: The stairway! Over
15: here! Bennett stopped struggling. He wanted to live, too. We followed Tony by the sound of his cane. He stopped before he reached the steps. Flames outlined the square of the stairwell. Tony,
18: take us to the fire escape.
21: Where was it? The other side. Down this way.
15: Ben was coughing and gasping for breath. Once he stumbled, nearly fell. For a second time in one night, I was helping him out of a fire. <clears throat> Through the smoke, we saw the light of the red exit sign. We leaned against the door and we found it open. A policeman was on the landing. I
18: was coming after you. Watchman said you
11: were here.
15: He helped us down to the street and away from the building.
18: Just took another one out Over here, the fire bug The firebug. Oh, no
15: Mom Mom, you're walking Oh, no Martha It can't be Who is she? The old man's wife But she can't walk She's paralyzed What's it all about, Martha?
20: My men And those warehouses They acted like I was already dead
15: She was hurt in the fire a long time ago Oh
20: You can walk Better than me Nobody
15: will care. Oh, sure we do, Ma. Sure. Did you start those fires?
20: Yes, I started them. That's what they did to me. And after I was hurt, they left me alone. They let me lie there alone. First, I got so I could talk, but you wouldn't talk to me. I couldn't, Ma. Seeing you there like that and knowing it was my fault. Nobody came in all those years. Nobody. You can walk. Then I got so I could walk. When was that, Martha? About a year ago. First, I thought I'd go out and see people. But I don't know anybody now. Why didn't you tell us? I was going to surprise you, Ben. But you didn't want me. You wouldn't stay around. Don't you see it was because it hurt us to see you like that? When you look at me, you'd look away. So at night, I'd follow you. You didn't even look around. Then I got to understand, you didn't want me. It was the warehouses you wanted. I was jealous of those warehouses, just like they were people, and I hated them.
19: Mother, no. Oh, no.
20: So one night I watched you both go into one of the buildings, and I was left outside alone, just like I'd been so many years. I wanted to kill it. To destroy it. Oh, Mom. And when you came out, I went inside. There were some papers and things in the corner. I started the fire. And then I ran out.
18: Tony, I I
20: thought that Then I hid. And I watched. And fire trucks came. And people. (laughs) I had to laugh. I brought all those people. They came because of me.
19: Yeah, yeah. You come with us, Mrs. Graham.
20: You... Where?
15: He'll take you to a hospital. There'll be people there.
20: People? People? Will they talk to me? Will they talk to me?
15: Why, sure, sure they'll talk to you, Martha. They'll talk to you. <laughs> Brother, sometimes the night is even deeper than we think. A moral, too? Well, it seems to me it sticks out all over the place. The Graham's loneliness proved about as deadly as poison. Even more deadly. At least poison kills quickly. But there's an answer to loneliness. And it's so simple it chokes you. Loneliness is a prison that separates you from the world. And you can escape from that prison in only one way. By freeing another. Hmm. No, well, yes, indeed. None but the lonely heart stone. Copy, boy.
11: You are listening to Nightbeat on the Wheaties Big Parade. Here's a hooray for the Reader's Digest. This hooray is sent up
17: by the Wheaties people because the Reader's Digest has printed a very smart word or two on breakfast in their May issue. Most people don't eat enough breakfast, reports the Digest. Most people would feel better, look better, work better if they did. The Wheaties people suggest you try the Breakfast of Champions as the better part of a better breakfast and see just how true the Reader's Digest article is.
11: Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Joel Hunt, with music by Frank Worth. Others in tonight's cast were Sarah Selby, Paul McVeigh, Sam Edwards, Junius Matthews, and Frank Gerstle. Listen next week at this same time and every week. As Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Night Beat came to you from Hollywood. Portions transcribed.
0: That's Night Beat from March 6, 1950, with number 13, starring Frank Lovejoy. Also in that cast, Gerald Moore, Stan Waxman, Jack Crucian, Wilms Herbert, and William Tracy. That was uh, sustained over NBC. Frank Lovejoy on Nightbeat. Okay, it's time now for part two of The Shepherd Matter, starring Bob Bailey. This is from April 17th, 1956. Here's yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
12: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
7: Dick Porter, Mr. Dollar. Hi. Did you check on Dr. Shepard? Yeah. Uh, do I write up his policies?
13: Well, that's up to you, Mr. Porter. Dr. Shepard's life has been threatened. What? That's according to him. And the man who threatened his life has definite homicidal tendencies, also according to Dr. Shepard.
4: Well, I... I... Well, what do you think?
13: Porter, I think Dr. Shepard's a liar.
12: (laughs) Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
13: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. More expenses. Item 3, 26 cents. One bottle of aspirin for Mr. Porter. I felt he was going to need it.
7: I hope you aren't trying to be funny, Mr. Dobbs. I'm
13: not, Mr. Porter. I think you've got a tough decision to make. I, uh, I know that the commission on $80,000 worth of insurance would
7: be high. uh, uh sit down. Oh,
13: thanks. Uh, Mr. Porter, Dr. Shepard told me he bought or tried to buy all that insurance because he thought a man named Forbes was going to kill him. He bought it, he said, to make certain his mother is well provided for. He was carrying a thirty-two coat. Mm. Now, he spoke of treating Forbes' wife and of advising her that divorce would settle her health problem. Mr. Forbes didn't like that and accused Shepard of trying to wreck his home, and... Well, that's about it. Now, what have we got? (laughs) Well, your Dr. Shepard is either nuts or an idiot or the cleverest man alive. I don't know. I do know I believed about one half of what he told me,
7: maybe less. For what reason would he have to lie? Beats me.
13: If someone threatened your life or mine, we'd turn to the police for help. Now, Shepard won't do that. Insists that it would probably be hazardous in the case of his patient, Mrs. Forbes.
7: Well, I don't want to write up this policy if what he says is true. But I, I don't want to pass up the commission if it isn't true. Can you stick around town for another day or two and find out about it? I'll do what I can, Mr. Porter. Go ahead.
13: Have an aspirin. He had an aspirin and I had a car ride. Once again, out to the offices of Dr. Shepard. The same things were more or less going on in the same way. His nurse, Miss Streeter, appeared as distraught as ever when she recognized me. There was a quick dabbing at the eyes, a straightening of the hair before she spoke.
14: I'm... Good morning, Mr. Dollar. Hello.
13: I'd like to see the doctor again.
14: He was calling Mr. Porter's office trying to locate you. I'll buzz him. Mr. Dollar... Do you have anything to do with why Doctor's been carrying a gun?
13: No. That's his business.
14: In other words, I should mind my business.
13: Well, I'm being honest. I've advised him what to do in the matter. What matter? He'll have to explain that to you, Miss Streeter. It doesn't make much sense to me.
14: You can go back now.
13: Okay, thanks.
16: Hello, Mr. Dollar. Hello, Doctor. You were pretty insulting yesterday. I'm
13: sorry about that, but we both have a problem to solve. And I get paid sometimes for deliberately insulting people. (laughs) You're a stranger. You want to change your story about all this? I wish
16: I could change it. It's still a mess, a bad mess. I thought it all out last night, and I still must hold to my original thinking. I have to place my concern for my patient, Mrs. Forbes, before anything else. In other words, you won't call the police and tell them your life's been threatened. No, and you're very stubborn about that
13: part. I don't think you comprehend the situation at all. Look, wait a minute. Let's understand each other, Doctor. If this man Forbes is all you say he is, and you say you're the expert on homicidal tendencies, then the best thing for you to do is to prefer charges against him for threatening your life and have him locked up. Now, you could do that, according to what you've told me about Mrs. Forbes and a servant in their home witnessing his threats. I will try to explain
16: again. I can't do that for Mrs. Forbes' sake. I just can't. She's been through a shattering ordeal. I must attempt to resolve this quietly. Now, true, I can generally anticipate a man's actions inside my office under clinical conditions, but I... Well, Forbes is different. That's why I tried to contact you today. Someone like you could approach Forbes and possibly persuade him to discard his ideas of violence. Probably do it in a quiet way, too. What does Mr. Porter pay you?
13: Well, what's that got to do with it?
16: I'm willing to pay you. I mean, you and I don't seem to get along very well, but I phone Porter and he tells me you're one of the best men in your line of business. I'll pay you to go to Paul Forbes and talk to him as I've described. <laughs>
13: I can't figure you, Doctor.
16: Now, let you and I not get into any personality arguments. Will you do this for me for your regular fee?
13: I was going to do it anyhow. For Mr. Porter and the fee, he pays me. I just wanted to check you first. I'll do it. But I still think it's a matter for the police. All right, let's leave it this way. You go talk to Forbes. If you think he means to kill me,
16: then I'll call the police and prefer charges against him, patient or no patient.
13: How's that? That sounds a little more sensible, Doctor. (laughs) I took down the home address of Paul Forbes and climbed in my rented car and drove over to his home in the gilded edge of the city. A story and a half colonial with all the trimmings. Lawns, trees, Plymouth convertible, a push-button station wagon in the garage. It was a nice warm spring day and some flowers were blooming and smelling up the area in a very nice way. Flies buzzed, bees droned, birds sang. And I went up and pressed the doorbell. I should have gone butterfly catching or taken a plane to Spokane. Yeah? I'm looking for Paul Forbes. Does he live here? Yeah, he sure does. I'm Forbes. Mr. Forbes, my name is Johnny Dollar. Dollar? Yeah, and I came over to talk to you... You get a... out of my way!
4: You... Oh. Yeah.
13: The front of his gun snapped against the side of my head and I went down to my knees. The door slammed somewhere and someone ran away. I twisted around trying to see what it was all about. And then I managed to get to my feet in time to see Paul Forbes plunging the Plymouth out the driveway and heading I don't know where.
4: Oh, oh.
19: Goodness, my goodness. What happened here? Uh, Where's Mr. Forbes? You hurt? Yeah, be... Oh, Miss Forbes, Miss Forbes. Hey. Oh, let me help you, sir. Here, give me your arm. Yeah. we better sit you down over here. Okay, thanks. Oh, nice, my sir. goodness, my goodness gracious, sir. How did this happen? Mr. Forbes swung a gun at me. Oh, no, sir, no, sir. Oh, no, sir. No. Easy, sir. Easy, easy. Nice, thanks. Not, let's sit down here. Oh. Oh.
22: What happened here?
19: I'm afraid Mr. Forbes
13: attacked this gentleman, Miss
19: Forbes.
22: Call the doctor. Then go to my medicine chest and get some swabs and a pan of cold oh, water. Right away,
13: ma'am. Wait, man. wait. Uh, the doctor isn't necessary. It just made me dizzy. you cut.
22: It might be deep. Well, get the first aid things and some brandy Upton. And... Right away, ma'am. This is unforgivable. Just unforgivable conduct. Please, I don't know who you are. Are you a friend of Paul's? No,
13: I'm Johnny Dollar. I wanted to discuss with your husband something. I, I take it you're Mrs. Forbes.
22: Yes, Oh, Upton, uh, set them right here. Yes,
13: ma'am, yes, ma'am.
19: You feeling a little better, sir? I, I don't know yet. Uh, hey, let me try some of that. Yes, yeah, certainly, sir, certainly. There we go, sir. Uh, easy now. Easy. <laughs> Thanks.
22: How does it look to you, Upton?
19: Well, I believe it's not too deep, Mrs. Forbes. How's it feel, Mr. Darling? No, I don't think it's very deep. I'll be all right in a minute.
22: Upton, go telephone Dr. Shepard and tell him to come over here immediately.
4: Yes, ma'am.
22: Mr. Dollar, I can't tell you how sorry I am for this. You, You can bring suit against us. You can do anything you want to, Mr. Dollar. Paul's temper is just ungovernable these days. He could have killed you. He took the car and ran. Yeah. I don't know what's gotten into it. Two nights ago, he attacked my personal physician, threatened to kill him, and now he's attacked you for no reason at all. Any
13: idea where he might have gone?
22: Heaven only knows. Mad. That's what he is, Mr. Dollar. He's mad.
13: Pauline Forbes had a right to be scared from what I'd seen of her and from what I'd seen of her husband. He was an angry man with a gun in his hand slugging at anyone in sight. She was a distraught woman with a darkening spot underneath her right eye and it wasn't mascara. I began to wonder who needed more looking after. Dr. Shepard, Mrs. Forbes... What, Johnny Dollar?
19: Now, you just lie still now, sir. Oh, wow. I guess you kind of fainted a little bit.
13: Is there anything I can get you, sir? No, no. Uh, just tell me about Mr. Forbes. I beg your pardon, sir? Look, I'm an insurance investigator. I came here today to talk to Mr. Forbes about threatening Dr. Shepard's life. Oh, uh, well, I I wouldn't want to
19: talk out of turn, sir. You, you better discuss that with Mr. Forbes.
13: Now, just one question. Did Mr. Forbes threaten Dr. Shepard's life? Yes, sir. You heard him? I did, sir. He attacked Dr. Shepard here two nights ago. Did he also attack Mrs. Forbes? Mr.
19: Dollar, this is an unhappy house. Things have gone all wrong here these last few months. Mr. Forbes changed. Mr. Forbes... Well, oh, I don't know. I, but please don't ask me to speak up against
13: anyone. I'm just trying to find out the best thing to do for everybody concerned. Well, what can you do, sir?
19: Well, I didn't think anything like this had
16: happened.
22: It's terrible, Dr. Terrible.
16: This about about it. Now, I want you to go up to your room and lie down. There's no sense in your getting any more excited. I
22: want to see about Mr. Dollar first.
16: Oh, good morning, Doctor. Hello, Captain. Uh, let's have a look at this, Dollar. Uh, get that light. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. How is it? Well, I don't think it's anything worse than a cut. How do you feel, Dollar? Oh, an aspirin might straighten me out. Uh, I hope so. After- yes, sir, I'll get some, sir. <laughs> Dollar, I should have taken your advice yesterday. I'm going to take it now. I'm going to call the police and have this man arrested. He might kill somebody next time. Yeah, am I all right? Sit up.
13: (sighs) Dizzy? Yeah, a little. That'll wear off.
22: What will they do to Paul?
13: Well, they'll take him into custody and probably talk some sense to him.
22: Oh, this this is awful.
13: You
16: go up to your room now, Mrs. Forbes. We'll handle this. Uh, Oh, Upton, uh, take Mrs. Forbes upstairs. Yes,
19: sir. You just come along, Mrs.
22: Forbes. Thank you.
16: She is not a well woman. She looks all right to me. I wish she were. I don't want to get an x-ray on that head. Can you come by the office this afternoon? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Give me the police. I doubt if it's concussion or anything like that, but it's best to play safe. You're a safe player all the time, aren't you, doctor? What does that mean? I don't know. Now, look here. I'm not... Hello? Uh, Yes. I want to talk to somebody about a threat on my life. I... My name is Shepard. Dr. Charles Shepard.
13: When I left him, he was reporting Paul Forbes to the police. He gave them Forbes' description and the license number of the Plymouth Forbes was driving. I didn't stay beyond that. Maybe I should have. Maybe I should never have left that house. I'm not sure, but if I hadn't left, I might have saved a life.
12: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story.
13: Tomorrow, well, the big lie is as true as little green apples. Join us, won't you, when I bite into one and spit out a bullet. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: That's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with part two of The Shepherd Matter from April 17th, 1956, starring Bob Bailey as heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.
23: We could all use some different scenery right about now, and By the Yard wants to remind you to get outside and treat your outdoor living space like an extension of your home. It can be a much-needed oasis right now. Let By the Yard help transform your yard from ordinary to extraordinary using their Yardscape, patio planner you can measure and rearrange without lifting a finger then shop for your personalized furniture and place your order online it's just that easy all done from home their showrooms are temporarily closed but by the yard can take your calls and orders seven days a week want to actually get a feel for the recycled plastic or make sure your chairs won't clash with your deck they'll send you color samples just visit buytheyard.net and save during their shop-at-home sale now through the 27th. Furniture production and delivery is back up and running, and ByTheYard is following all recommended guidelines for implementing social distancing and sanitizing processes for your peace of mind. For all details, go to buytheyard.net. Lindemann Chimney and Fireplace represent the safest, best-trained staff in the industry. Nothing's more important than keeping your home's chimney, fireplace, gas appliances, and clothes dryers bent and
0: safe. Book instantly online at cleanfireplace.com. In our next hour, Stotts cotsworth stars as Casey, crime photographer from 1947. Then we'll tune into part three of this five-part adventure of The Shepherd Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. All coming your way after the news.